It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Oh, give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Hey, and make sure when you stop by Sal's, especially if you're uh, traveling uh, or if uh, you are uh, on the Golden Isles uh, in Georgia, that you mention that you watch and listen to the show. It might even get you a free cannoli. I don't know, man, but make sure you uh, uh, show up at Sal's. Today's show is also being brought to us uh, in part by my book, Tom Molino. Uh, from Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this very show. Just visit bondsandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. Um, coming up a little bit later on the show, we got some uh, updates on uh, Anthony Joshua, uh, James DeGal. Uh, Shakur Stevenson, a uh, uh, featherweight prospect, uh, getting himself in trouble. I want to talk a little about uh, streaming. Uh, how about the WBC's purse bid? That was talk about shenanigans. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Dax Khan is scheduled to join us uh, in about an hour or so uh, to give us a breakdown on the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, but first, let's kick off with this. A lot of people have been talking about the uh, possibility of the fight between Manny Pacquiao and Lucas Matisse, where Manny Pacquiao is challenging Lucas Matisse for his uh, WBA title, that this fight was not going to take place. Uh, this was a fight that uh, uh, Manny Pacquiao, was, uh, his promotional company was leading uh, the way, so to speak. Uh, he has broken ties with uh, his trainer, Freddie Roach, and for all intent and purposes with top rank. Top Rank had issued uh, some statements in the past saying that Manny, uh, who had tried to stage some fights while under the Top Rank banner, uh, did not really get the deal done. Had a lot of people saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and didn't do any of that. Um, this particular fight was uh, uh, in some serious jeopardy. However, it was confirmed earlier this week that the money issues have been resolved and Manny Pacquiao versus Lucas Matisse, which is scheduled for next week, is all systems go. Now, my question is, is anybody really interested in this fight? I mean, how important of a fight is it? Is this really 
uh, a fight that, that Manny Pacquiao needs? Is this really a fight that's going to generate him him some money? Uh, obviously, Matisse's making out well. Uh, but but where uh, where is this fight state like what wh- what importance does it have uh, on the full scope not only for the for the weight class the welterweight weight class uh, and the WBA regular uh, world welterweight title but what about Manny Pacquiao what does this fight do uh, for him should he win or should he lose joining me right now to get his thoughts is uh, my man Sal Rocky Senecola what does this fight mean <laughs> you really don't have to ask me that bill do you yeah because I, i'm curious to know uh inquiring minds want to know uh i mean I, i'm trying to figure out first of all some interesting stats um yes. combined these two guys have 74 knockouts sal Combined, wow. that's a lot of knockouts. But there's another combination they also have. When you add the ages of these two guys, it also yeah. equals 74, 74 years <laughs> old combined. Well, what significance does this fight have in your opinion? In my opinion, and it is just my opinion, as I've often said, Manny Pacquiao is a warrior. He's a legend. He's, a, I think, an eight-divisional champion. That, that I, I don't think that record could be matched. Uh, he's done. He's done it all. He's been to the mountain and back. The only thing that he didn't do was beat Floyd Mayweather, and the only reason why he was going to come back was to beat Floyd Mayweather. So anything less than that, as an incentive or motivation or whatever, I mean, he's already had titles. He's already had. So I just don't really see the significance. I, I think, you know, other than a fighter, still, <laughs> believe me, I, I know what he what, what it could be like. Other than a fighter wanting to just continually challenge himself uh, and make money and and do what he can do at his craft because he does it so well, I mean that might be his only motivation. The significance is there is really no other mountains for him to climb, especially because he did not get back into the ring with Floyd Mayweather for whatever reason, uh, not only his fault or, or whatever. Uh, so I, I I really don't know what uh, a fight with Matisse is gonna gonna do it's gonna be a good fight and uh, it'll be an entertaining fight and we'll, we'll see we'll look at it we'll say oh well Manny Pacquiao looked like this he looked like that you're gonna have people uh, criticizing all sides of the aisle uh, I do like the fact that he is going to um, uh, be for the first time in a long time without Freddie Roach uh, I, I respect Freddie Roach I think Freddie Roach is great but I think he may. Uh, I, I think I think Manny at this time may may benefit from a train. I mean, from a change of a trainer. And uh, uh, so we'll see. So there's real no significance that and I really feel uh, I'm tied to or wondering what's going to happen. You know, he if he wins, he's just going to go on to another uh, title shot or something here. But like I said, if he fought Floyd Mayweather, that'd be a great fight. And uh, Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather, as I've often said, would still beat him, but uh, it would be entertaining. Um, Manny Pacquiao's thirty-nine years old, and like you said, uh, you know he's held titles in not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but eight different uh, uh, weight classes. Um, you know, it, it, they, basically, he's already got his ticket punched uh, oh, to yeah. the Hall of Fame. Um, as a matter of fact. 
uh, I was looking at, uh, you know, uh, I was basically floating around the internet uh, the last couple of days, and uh, I stumbled across a website that had, um, in their opinion, the 26 greatest fighters of all time. And um, we'll get to that later, but in on my all-time greats, even though I don't like to put fighters on that type of imaginary list um, until they're retired for over five years, I personally have Manny Pacquiao finishing above Floyd Mayweather, even though Mayweather beat him. Um, I can explain that later. The, my point is he's got nothing else left to prove. I mean, um, at 39 years old, eight world titles in, in uh, eight different weight classes, a career record of 59 wins, seven losses, two draws, 38 wins coming by knockout. Uh, you know, uh, Lucas Matisse, no slouch either, 39 wins, four losses, 36 coming by knockout. Uh, combined, they have, uh, like I mentioned earlier, 74 knockouts, but also combined 74 years old. Combined wins, th- these are all impressive numbers, Sal. Combined, combined wins, too shy of 100. They combined have a 98 wins. Uh, losses, two guys uh, with 98 wins only have 11 losses and, and two draws. I mean, you know, this on paper, at least record-wise, looks like it could be an interesting fight until you get to the age. Um, Matisse, known for his knockout punch, it's not an easy fight for Manny Pacquiao. I mean, remember, uh, he lost to uh, Jeff Horn, you know. So, um I'm not sure what to think of it. I, I mean, he's promoting the fight. Uh, as you suggest, a good performance may lead to another big payday, whether it be against Floyd. I don't know. I, I don't ever want to see Floyd. May- I don't want to see him ever again, but let alone I don't want to see him in the ring. Uh, Two fights again. I want to see Floyd. Two fights. I want to see him one more time with Manny Pacquiao. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'd rather see him in with Oscar De La Hoya. That's a fight I want to see. You know, the funny thing is um, is that I, I don't know if a fight with Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao against Floyd Mayweather rematch, I don't know if it would be any different. You know, no, Manny Pacquiao uh, did not uh, go into that fight. I mean, I know uh, afterwards he, he claimed that he had the injured shoulder. Um you know, but the only way he was going to beat Floyd was to go in there with reckless abandon and, and try to blow Floyd out of there. And he didn't. He didn't do it. You know, so I, I just I can't see him all of a sudden doing that in a second time. So I, I don't know if I care about that. I don't want to see Floyd. I I don't want to see or hear about Floyd Mayweather in anything ever again. You know, I mean, uh, uh, let him go and enjoy his money and do whatever he wants to do. As far as Manny Pacquiao is concerned. I'm not so sure there's any fights I really want him to see him in, Sal, including this one, scheduled for next week. Um, I mean, to me, he does not have anything left to prove. As a matter of fact, the difference between he and Floyd, Floyd, whether, and I'm one that did not think that the last decade of his career was anything special. I felt that he cherry-picked opponents, etc., especially the 50th win of his career against a pro debut in Conor McGregor. But at the end of the day, um, Floyd doesn't need to prove anything to anyone, and neither does Matisse. The difference with Floyd is that he kind of went out on top. 
He went out winning. He went out undefeated. Manny Pacquiao's clearly on a decline, and I got news for you. He's risking looking even worse against a power puncher like Matisse. Don't be shocked if he gets stopped, Sal. Well, and that could be something that would be uh, revealing and uh, unwinding for Manny Pacquiao, and I think that might be a the closure. What did I say, Bill? I said every time Manny Pacquiao steps in, he's going to be uh, eventually looked at as fodder for some of these uh, these up and coming or young bucks or, or or other warriors. I mean, because he's really he does not have anything else to prove. Uh, and like I said, the other other thing is if he's challenging himself, because let's face it, some fighters uh, you're just geared, you're just you're just made that way. You love to fight. You love to get in shape. You love the pressure. You love to compete. And you challenge yourself. You test yourself. And that could be Manny Pacquiao. Maybe because he realizes, you know, it's the it's one of the ultimate highs. I mean, uh, it, 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 it's the excitement. It's the discipline. It's the regiment that you're getting into shape. You're training. You're focusing. You're counting down the weeks, the days, till you step in the ring. So part of that adrenaline rush is very, very hard to let go of. And like I said, if he's doing it on his own personal note and his own personal level because that's the best he can do, um, I-, I can understand why he continues to fight. Um, other than that, like I said, this guy's been to the mountain and back. He's got nothing left to prove or to gain uh, in anything significant while he continues to fight. So he should be more aware of his health, his age, and uh, see where he wants to go from here. I think his world in politics or maybe eventually promoting or training, uh, you know, might be a a nice venue for him to try. But uh, like I said, everybody's an individual. Everybody's got their own uh, character to wake up with. And uh, and uh, I mean, in themselves, when you look in the mirror, everybody's got to look in the mirror and and be happy with what they see. Can't look them back. Well, we'll see. We'll see what his performance looks like. uh, on uh, next week, so uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Personally, I think he should hang him up. I think he Me should too. have already hung him up. He had a chance uh, if he would have beaten Jeff Horn. Uh, he had Jeff Horn in all kinds of trouble, took his foot off the gas, ended up losing the fight, so uh, it is what it is. Uh, an update on uh, Triple G and Canelo. They oh, had good. their uh, uh, face-to-face uh, earlier in the week, except it wasn't really face-to-face. It was via satellite, and they had a split screen. One was in one location, one was in the other, and it was as boring as watching paint dry. Um, you know, I, and and hey, there was I no... Like there, there, yeah, but, you know, there was no... There was no interest level in it. And, and you know, I, I'm wondering if all the shenanigans that went on with this uh, fight and, and the fact that Canelo uh, uh, tested positive, then Triple G got pissed. Uh, the fight wasn't going to happen. Then with the way that the uh, Golden Boy team has has had the you-know-whats to to try to turn the blame on, on Triple G, and and now uh, Canelo's acting like, you know, he, 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 wait till I get Can- the Triple G in the ring, I'm going to destroy him. And I'm saying to myself, you know, wow, you didn't even try to destroy him in the first one. Um, did the uh, BS with this fight really chase fans away you know are they going to do well with pay-per-view are they going to sell out i mean you hear a big fight uh of this type of magnitude in england it's sold out in hours uh 24 hours uh, or less a big fight is sold out 
Um, I haven't heard anything on on ticket sales. They've, it's already tickets are available. Um, I, I'm just uh, I just don't know what to think, Sal. Uh, what's your thoughts? I think that there has been enough uh, of the shenanigans that he may have uh, temporarily uh, turned some fans away, knowing that okay, inevitably. They are going to step in the ring with each other come September 15th. But you know what? Why do I need to pay attention to it now after all that they've, they've done to to uh, disrupt the apple cart, if you will? And because you also stated very correctly that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do feel that uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez did cheat. And it wasn't just a tainted burger, but it was something that he self-induced and, and, and prescribed uh, to. And, you know, whether that's true or not. Uh, only the fan can make that decision. And uh, so we have what we have here, a fight that is going to be a year anniversary from their last fight and uh, with each other. And I think that uh, that also had a little bit to do with it. But I, I think what's going to also be noted, you know, we're still two and a half months away. So I, I think this month of July, it's the summer, uh, is going to just cruise a little bit through this month. And you'll start seeing a full court press and the marketing and the up close and personal kind of uh, uh, remarks coming out in August. And of course, your last three weeks before the fight, yeah, you're gonna see you're gonna see the interest return. The summer's over. Uh, it's all gonna come together. And uh, whether the marination pro- process overcooked the meat or what. We'll see on September 15th, but I think it will sell tickets. I think there will be a rise in the interest, and I think when all is said and done, it'll be what we expected it to be. Well, they're, that's they're, my opinion. They're projecting uh, as much as a half a million or more, a minimum of a half a million uh, more pay-per-views for this second fight uh, than they uh, had in the first one. I'm just not so sure, man. I'm just not so sure. Some other news uh, that I wanted to get out. It was also announced uh, uh, actually uh, today, uh, at least for us, early this morning, um, that uh, Eddie Hearn has made it official. Anthony Joshua, uh, his next two fights will be at Wembley Stadium. Uh, The first one is September 22nd. It will be announced who the opponent is, but most likely 99.99999, you get the idea, percent uh, Alexander Povetkin. And then the next date is already signed, sealed, and delivered April 13th of next year against, well, that's yet to be determined. Um, this is a, it, to me, this is a, uh, should be a loud and clear message to Deontay Wilder that he effed up big time. He and his team. Because this is what my point was all along. Anthony Joshua has many options as a world heavyweight champion. He can continue to fight at venues like Wembley Stadium, sell 80,000, 90,000 tickets to a live show, make the pay-per-views, Make all that twenty, thirty million a pop, fighting decent, uh, uh, up, uh, you know, top-notch opposition. I mean, Alexander Povetkin is a mandatory, but he's no slouch either. Uh, Anthony Joshua has a potential showdown with with uh, Tyson Fury. He's got a potential showdown uh, with Dillian White. 
uh, should Dillian White get past uh, his next fight against Joseph Parker? If Joseph Parker wins, Joseph Parker earns a rematch. Cuba Pulov uh, is uh, is in the mix. I mean, there's just so many names that you could put next to, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua. And then when you look over at Deontay Wilder, sure, he could go for the 50-0 and record uh, against uh, a bunch of stiffs. And, and I don't even know if I can name 10 stiffs for him to fight. So I... Um, I, I think, you know, at this point in time, Sal, um, your boy Deontay Wilder, if he's got anything larger than a walnut-sized brain in that head of his, that he could look in the mirror and say to himself, you know, I should have signed on the dotted line. What's your thoughts? I, you know, that's just it. I, I, I'd like to really see wh- what happened. What was the truth? What you know, because I've said it all along, there's no reason why Deontay Wilder would not want this fight to happen. Everything was in his favor. Yeah. Everything should have been looking big, bright, and beautiful for Deontay Wilder. Because, uh, in my humble opinion, I think it would have been a great fight. And I think Deontay Wilder may have came away from uh, that fight with his hand raised up in the air as the victor. Um, and a rematch, like I said, there is no sense. This fight was signed almost sealed, almost signed, and never delivered. And each opponent that each of these combatants face, it's going to bring them one fight further away from these two fighters ever meeting. And you know what else? Time coming into the mix, you're going to have Tyson Fury. He's going to rise to the occasion, and he's going to be thrown in there. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, there'll be that round-robin kind of opponents with with the the top uh, five, six contenders all looking to uh, uh, become a mandatory for each of these champions. So, like I said, this was the optimum time for these two guys to meet. And for whatever reason, whether it was uh, uh, Deontay Wilder's fault, whether it was whether it was Anthony Joshua's fault, like I said, Billy, hundreds of times before, if two fighters really want to fight each other, then there's very little that's going to stop that from happening. You know, so one of these guys didn't want to fight the other. And that's that's what I'd like to find out. Who you know, Sal. No disrespect, but your your mindset is so stuck in in the '80s. I mean, the truth of the matter is, as much as I agree with you about how great it would be to have, uh, as you define it, a round robin, so to speak, with you know the top uh, fighters fighting each other, and then you know maybe the losers fight the two losers to earn another shot i mean i i mean there's so much potential and i dig it and i and i agree with you however that's just not the way it's done today i i i I, I don't agree with how it's done today and and to suggest that these guys would actually step up to the plate and do it and then quite honestly sal again no disrespect how you can sit there and and maintain uh, you know, any kind of positivity for Deontay Wilder at this point. I mean, if it boils down to money, and the truth be told, that whatever reason, you know, I, all I look at is one simple thing, you know, because obviously we, we don't know everything. We weren't flies on the no, wall and everything. No, okay, We, we no. both admit that. But the one thing we do know is that Deontay Wilder had a contract in his hand we do know that it was a guaranteed $15 million deal um, where he gets paid. We also know that Deontay Wilder referred to that as crackhead money. He, this is coming from a guy that never made $2.5 million yet and, and certainly won't against the, the bums he's going to have lined up to fight. And, 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 it, and he was uh, 
they actually suggested that it would take him a week to return the, the contract signed, and time ran out for him. I think it's all been a ploy. I think it's all been uh, a, 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 a thing where Team Wilder used the popularity of Anthony Joshua to try to gain some leverage with his own popularity. The guy is not a likable guy. Even Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson did some crazy stuff. He was a vicious guy in the ring. He, he did, did crazy nutcase things outside of the ring. But you know what? People still liked him in a way. And even if they disliked him, like, you know, same thing with Floyd. People either loved him or hated him, but they still wanted to see him fight. Deontay... I can't I can't say that he's the same kind of guy. People, you know, whether they like him or not, I don't know if so many people want to see him fight. He had the potential of having that persona where people want to see him because of his freakish punching power. But somewhere along the line, it went, it went south. It got spoiled, Sal. And I think that his options are extremely limited and I think that this is a clear indication, especially with the official announcement of Anthony Joshua's next two fights, basically they're saying, hey, Deontay, the offense here, I, come on, either that or we're just going to keep going. The bus is going to keep going. And, and you know, when he turned down $15 million to fight AJ, and then the next part of the contract was another five to fight whoever he wanted first. I mean, there's $20 million that he could make in two fights that it would take him 10 years to make, 10, or uh, let me rephrase that, it would take him 10 fights to make that kind of money, Sal. It makes no sense, no smart sense, in my opinion. Well, if you look at what boxing is also considered a business, and if you look at his advisors saying, how can we maximize his uh, income or monetary value, over the, the the least amount of risk and reward it would be to fight Anthony Joshua and have the rematch clause. Because even if he got uh, just the short end of a $15 million purse, and I say that uh, with a little tongue-in-cheek joke here, if he got a $15 million purse, there's a very good likelihood that he would net at least $4 million in his pocket after taxes, after 33 and a third to the manager, after 10% to the trainer, after all is divvied up and, and everything else in taxes. He should probably net between 4 and $5 million. And guess what? With the rematch clause, there's another five, six million dollars if they have more. So I think over a two-period fight or three-period fight and within a year or so, netting yourself $10 million dollars, uh, is pretty much a, a way to really maximize your income with the least amount of risk and uh, as far as exposure to uh, uh, fights. So I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Uh, and that's why I really do not know whether he has had just bad uh, advisors coaching him or if this is an Anthony Joshua move that, that did not allow it also to come to fruition. So there, there's, like I said, we can't point fingers. We don't know. But I, I would have said all along, as you have stated, Bill, that this makes no sense for a Deontay Wilder to walk away from the potential income he would have had over the course of a 10-month period, a 12-month period, versus where he is right now. Because this was going to maximize his, his income, notoriety, the whole thing, marketability, everything. But uh, it's not going to happen, and we're going to be... 
uh, chomping at the bit, if you will, and we're going to see what these guys do with their second-string opponents. Um, for all my uh, radio and TV affiliates, we are not taking a break here. Sal uh, didn't shut up quick enough. I apologize for that. Sorry, so, uh, I have. Uh, we are going to continue. <laughs> we are going to continue moving on. And, you know, I don't think I didn't notice you slipping in uh, the fact that you thought maybe it was some of AJ's fault. It was not AJ's fault. Okay. I mean, okay. let's be okay. real. All right. Okay. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I can't listen. Even even you, as Deontay Wilder's president of his fan club, even you I who wish. thinks that Deontay's the, the greatest thing since sliced bread, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is it had nothing to do with Anthony Joshua. For them to offer first $12 million guaranteed and then upping it to fifteen. Now, think of that for a second. Twelve million. We all said he should take it. Okay. Then we said, you know, maybe Wilder made a great uh, choice by hanging out. He gets offered fifteen million, guaranteed, to fight Deontay Wilder. Now, the increase for this fight, that three million dollar increase, was more than a half a million more than he made in his biggest payday of his career. So I I mean, that's just an increase in addition to. All right, so so uh, an extremely dumb move by Deontay Wilder. And assuming that Deontay doesn't make the decisions on his own, it was an extremely dumb move by his people around him. I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Deontay Wilder should get rid of the team around him because they're screwing him from every single possible angle. So uh, whatever. Moving on. Hey, I'd love to be part of his team. I promote him. And I'll make him. I'll make him uh, a household name, and I'll uh, make him really do it. well. well. You'll make him a pizza. Pe- All <laughs> you'll do is make him a pizza. Come on, man. Come I'm on. Gonna make him a pizza. Uh, we'll uh, we'll move on here. Uh, James DeGal. Uh, vacated his IBF uh, super middleweight title. Um, he was supposed to fight uh, Jose, uh, and I always destroy this poor guy's last name, uh, Yuzuka Dugai, um, as his Yuzuka. mandatory uh, uh, title defense. And um, he uh, gave up his title. Now, you know, people are going to say, oh, well, he didn't want to fight Jose. Because Jose's a good fighter, there's no question about it. But the problem is, is that he's not a money-generating fighter. It's similar, in theory, to the situation we're discussing with Anthony Joshua and, and Deontay Wilder. And it's also, you could throw in Triple G and Canelo, the reason why these two guys had to have the rematch versus going in another direction. You know, certain fights generate more money. And depending upon the fighters involved and what kind of fan base they have and drawing power, et cetera, et cetera, dictates the value of a fight. Well, quite honestly, James DeGaulle, uh, uh, fighting Jose Hugo's a guy, um, you know, <laughs> did not, um, uh, you know, look like it was going to make James too much money. So he gave up the title instead. There's a very few fighters out there today in today's uh, boxing landscape that can afford to give up a title and end up making more money in an alternative fight. And that's exactly what James DeGaulle is going to do. Uh, they said that they will be in making an announcement very soon uh, about uh, uh, what his next fight will be. But obviously, it's going to be more financially rewarding uh, 
than uh, his fight with uh, Jose. Uh, so, um, oh, you're the guy. yeah, that's him. Um, so that's that. That's an update there. How about this? How about this update, Sal? Featherweight Shakir Stevenson, a guy that's got all kinds of potential. Now, remember, this is a guy that that our very own Larry Hazard said, keep an eye on him. Larry watched this kid in the gym, watched him through the Olympics. He was a silver gold medalist in the 2016 Olympics. He has shown uh, great amounts of potential. Currently, he's 7-0 and with four knockouts. He turned 21 last Thursday and went out uh, in Miami, South Beach, and uh, partied. Uh, on Saturday night uh, with Ouch. he and uh, uh, several friends. Uh, he was yeah. uh, hanging out with uh, uh, the uh, uh, musical uh, superstar Drake and also fellow boxer David Grayton. Uh, and then things kind of went uh, uh, array. Uh, apparently, uh, went uh, alleg- uh, uh, yeah, they went more South Beach than <laughs> South Beach. But uh, apparently, uh, Stevenson and Grayton, uh, we're having some fun, walking through a parking garage, saw a couple of hot babes, made some uh, comments. Oh, the girls' boyfriends didn't appreciate it. One thing led to another, oh, and boy. a fight broke out between oh, these two fighters. Was there a hot uh, Well, I, I no, there wasn't. There wasn't, but uh, I'll tell you what did happen. Uh, apparently, uh, Steven, uh, Stevenson and uh, David Grayton uh, ended up going back to their hotel uh, where uh, they were tracked down by uh, Miami police and uh, were uh, arrested and charged. Uh, at least Shakur Stevenson was charged with a battery. Um, Sal, a young fighter like this, I mean, we've talked about this many times, where you have a young fighter that potentially has everything going for them, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, spring break, uh, you know, girls gone wild. You know, I mean, these 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 guys go out there um, and they start doing uh, stupid stuff. Is this going to affect this guy's career? I mean, are they just going to shovel under the carpet? I mean, why would a guy, when you take a look at, at certain fighters uh, and and certain superstar athletes, I'll, I'll I'll take one for example, LeBron James. I mean, here's a guy just signed with the Lakers. Um, you know, he, he's been making buku dollars. And by the way, he signed for like $40 million a year for three years. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is this guy was one of the rare instances where he became a superstar directly out of high school. 18-year-old kid, superstar in the NBA. And I have never heard him get in any kind of trouble. Uh, uh, you know, Derek Jeter, formerly of the Yankees, uh, uh, obviously a, a Hall of Famer, uh, future Hall of Famer. This is a guy that never got in trouble. I mean, what can we do to keep these young fighters out of trouble, Sal? Bill, it, we, we can't. They can. And, you know, I, it just befuddles me. You know, I, 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 I go back to that Blarney Stone where Chicky Ferrar and I had that conversation after one of my training sessions, and he said, Sal, you've got everything it takes, and you've got to understand something. You're only going to be a professional fighter for so many years, a span of time. You've got to be somebody different and special, and you got to discipline yourself. you got to put everything else away for the next couple of years. And that's how you're supposed to live your life, uh, without trouble, without this, not, you know, you, you, and that's it, Billy, you, you know, you, you, you don't subject yourself to that kind of environment or you don't subject yourself to that scenario, that situation. He's only 21. He's got, he, he, he's just for, for you and I to say this, not a kid, but, uh, 
you know, a young adult and and he maybe is inexperienced with the social graces of a mature older gentleman who's been through a lot of stuff. I'm putting a lot of sugar on cornflakes, by the way. Um, I think that uh, one thing you got to realize, and I was told at a young age, you are a professional fighter. Your hands are unofficially registered as weapons because you're a paid professional to go into the ring to do bodily harm and, and earn a living uh, with your fists. So when you get in a fight, I don't care. I was told even if it's in self-defense, there's still a certain amount of liability, inherent liability that you're going to incorporate and, and the legal system is going to press. So I don't know why these guys were doing what they did, where they were doing it, but uh, you guys got to lock away and you got to realize you, you've been blessed with a talent. You've got a, the world in front of you. And you've got to be disciplined. You got to put the blinders on. You've got to have, yeah, you can have some fun. You can let your hair down. You can do what you got to do. But the bottom line is, you got to do it with being conscientious of where you're, 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 you're placing yourself and what, where, how, and when. That's all. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, in the NFL, it's a moral you know, compass. You've well, got to have a moral compass. And when that little professor in your head says, "Hmm, that's a little alarm. I don't know what's going on now." Yeah, think a little bit. Project. Look at the macro view. Are your actions going to come back and haunt you? Or uh, are you looking at the micro view? What's in front of you? Oh, I got a guy I got to beat up. I got to hit him. No, look at the big picture, guys. Look at the big picture. No, I agree with you. The NFL, you know, a lot of these big – boxing, unfortunately, isn't like uh, these other sports where – um, you know, uh, there's so much money involved. You know, you, you sign a, if you, if you're a team owner and you sign a kid, you know, assuming a kid, I mean, right out of college, a 20 something year old kid and you invest millions of dollars. Well, part of that deal, you should pay somebody to trail around this guy and make sure he stays out of trouble. Boxers don't have that luxury. <laughs> Boxers don't have that luxury, but you know, this is where you're supposed to learn from other fighters mistakes. It's well-documented. That guys, even even Mike Tyson, who uh, had all this money early on in his life and, and got into trouble. We saw Adrian Broner do it. Uh, we almost saw uh, Tank Davis uh, do it. You know, I, I mean, Javante Davis, uh, you know, that's Tank Davis, same thing. But um, Javante Davis uh, almost uh, was led astray. I mean, so uh, Shakira Stevenson, hopefully uh, he will uh, get his uh, uh, get this behind them and uh, somehow weasel out of it and uh, move forward and, and learn something from it. Hey, listen, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk a little about uh, streaming boxing and how quickly uh, it's becoming the norm. Don't go anywhere. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us uh, today. 
And um, before we went to break, I wanted to, I mentioned that we were going to talk about uh, streaming. And, you know, what bothers me, and Sal, I know you can back me up on this. Uh, as a matter of fact, I tried to convince you and someone yes, else that uh, we should have done this. And uh, everybody dragged their feet and uh, another party uh, went from uh, X to uh, a, a million plus X. Um, and uh, ultimately, um, here we are uh, three years later and everybody has quickly shifted to streaming model. Uh, we started off, there was another, uh, the bottom line is this. I said three years ago, that the future of boxing, and not only the future of boxing, but what could save this sport was to go with a streaming uh, platform. But I also said that the most important part of that was it had to be for free. And I said that the reason would be that, and I compared streaming of today to what we used to call network television, 30, 40 years ago, okay? And what that means is you reach uh, a huge numbers of sets of eyes and then you sell the advertising. Once you can produce the numbers of how many people are watching, then you could take those statistics and bring them to potential advertisers and sell, 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 okay? Because every single a company that sells a product or service wants to put their product or service in front of as many sets of eyes as they possibly can. But no, not in the sport of boxing because boxing really should be groxing. And I you say that because it begins with GR. It's greed. The greed factor has destroyed the sport and has always destroyed the sport from day one. Case in point, when uh, Sal and, and uh, other parties and, and myself did not do what I suggested that we did, another company did. But they weren't setting it up like the way we wanted to. They set it up as a pay-for-service, and it bombed. It wasn't the fact that you could only buy a streamed fight for $9.99. It wasn't the price that's, that scares people away. Nobody's scared to pay money for a streaming service. What they are, what they want to do is get everything on the internet for free. It's just the mentality that we have about the internet. You hear it all the time. Oh, how much, uh, how much for that uh, such and such or oh, that new jacket over there? Well, I'm going to go see what I can get it on the internet. The internet represents a cheaper alternative for things. So to suggest that we offer streamed fights for a fee didn't work, but whoa, hold on, hold the horses, everybody, because in 2018, everybody says, you know what, I got this great idea, I think if we give everybody these streams for free, they're going to watch, and the only thing that we might do is charge them a, a minimal subscription fee to get the service, well, that's different than paying per fight, isn't it, and a lot of people, they don't care about doing that, and they're doing it, add this, not only are people doing things like streaming on YouTube, we're seeing events on YouTube, we're seeing all kinds of stuff on Facebook. That's all for free, Sal. What's your thoughts? I, you know what? When you say a subscription, if somebody said, "Hey, Sal, here, here, pay a hundred dollars a subscription for six months trial or whatever the heck," 
and you can watch any fight, anytime, anywhere, whatever the heck. Yeah, I'm there, man. I'm doing it. Um, it's easy. It's convenient. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it would definitely cut in and hurt some of the market. But, uh, you know, and pay-per-view will still have a huge market because, uh, you know, you're going to see a live fight on a TV or a computer or you put your smart TV up. Yeah, I think it's a great thing. I think it is. It's going to definitely, definitely have its own little market. And uh, I would subscribe to it tomorrow maybe today it was available but my my point is if yes if like espn uh plus it, it's yes. a streaming service that you need to subscribe on a monthly basis for a nominal fee that that the dazn network that we don't have in the u.s that's supposed to be kicking off in a couple of months same type of thing you're going to subscribe to it that doesn't su- surprise me because, in a sense, you're subscribing to HBO and Showtime and and even ESPN to a degree. Absolutely. So, so I don't have a hang up with that. And if no. you got to do that in order to get the big fights, that's okay. But the other side of the coin are the, all the other fights, not the big fights. All the other fights, the fights that. You know, we normally used to watch on network television. Well, now, you know, Golden Boy just uh, did a big deal with Facebook to air boxing through the Facebook streaming uh, issue. Uh, and, and you know, you're going to get some good fights on that. You know, YouTube has taken over with pr- uh, press conferences and stuff like that. You know, so, I, I mean, listen, I'm all for it. But my point is, is what fails is when you expect someone to get a fight and pay for it through a stream. You know, uh, if you're going to subscribe, fine. My only negative thought on how quickly it's happening right now is that they are basically making you jump into the cold water all at once rather than sticking your toe in a little bit and getting used to it. And that was my only hang-up. I thought that they did... Terrence, uh, specifically Bob Arum, did Terrence Crawford wrong uh, by sticking his uh, fight against Jeff Horn on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, it was one of the first fights on that streaming service. Uh, I would have rather have seen them ease the fans into it by saying, uh, okay, you know, yeah, you got to pay, but, uh, you know, it's uh, cheaper to pay for this show on the streaming service than it will be on your television dial. And then uh, slowly uh, do it. But, hey, it's here. It's here right now, Sal, because now Golden Boy is doing Facebook. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, other promotional companies working with YouTube. We have Dazden. We have ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so uh, it's here. It's time to get a network-ready uh, television and uh, watch the fights there because uh, uh, the powers that be, uh, HBO is slowly fizzling out uh, when it comes to the sport of boxing. Showtime uh, is really a one-dimensional boxing uh, uh, network when it comes to you know their boxing programs. They're showing you just the Al Heyman-type fighters. Uh, so, uh, you know, hey, uh, the streaming's going to open up some doors for us, Sal. Oh, yeah, big time. And you know what? As a consumer, we got to educate ourselves here because, uh, you know, you want to see exactly what the facets are that are going to be uh, sold to you and, and, and learn the uh, limitations or the maximizations. I like that. Is that a word? Maximizations? I don't think so, but we can put ask Webster to put it in. Um, how about this? Tell me. There was a purse bid 
that was held for uh, the mandatory WBC fight. Now, now let's keep in mind, Adonis Stevenson, who's the WBC light heavyweight champion, who I think is one of uh, one of the worst champions out there, um, has avoided his mandatory uh, 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 fights for several years now. Now, we're not talking about months. We're talking about years, all right? He's paid... Uh, Elder Alvarez has made more money in step-aside money for Adonis Stevenson than he would have ever made in the ring, all right? And finally, the WBC put their foot down, Sal. They said, sorry, we have an interim uh, light heavyweight champion. His name, Alexander Godzavik, and you got to fight him. And um, no deal was reached. So, as is the case, they went to a purse bid. And it was announced that there were three bidders. The first bidder was uh, TGB Promotions. And um, they actually uh, initially won the bid. They bid $3.1 million. The second uh, uh, bidder was uh, Donna Stevenson's promoter, Yvonne Michelle. Uh, He bid $1.1 million. And Godzadek promoter... Uh, was the third one, which is top rank. Uh, they bid $1.675 million for this fight. Now, the, according to WBC rules, 65% uh, of the bid, winning bid goes to the champion, which is Adonis Stevenson, and Godzadek gets 35%. As soon as they open, and all these bids, the process is sealed bids now, boys and girls. As soon as they opened up the envelopes, and read that uh, Tom Brown's TGB Promotions uh, won the bid, all of a sudden, Phil Weiss, who was the attorney that was representing TGB Promotions, withdrew their bid. As soon as they found out they won it, they withdrew the bid, which by policy means that Yvonne Michelle... He was the second guy uh, in line in terms of the bid. He wins the purse bid for over a million less. Okay. Top rank says, wait a minute. This sounds like some shenanigans just took place. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to place a bid and then withdraw it as soon as you win. What kind of crap is that? That's, that's and hey, you actually, as getting auctioneer, you'll get you'll get uh, led away uh, real fast. <laughs> and and so the WBC agrees that you can't do that. It appears that Yvonne Michelle and and Phil Weiss, or Yvonne Michelle's GYM Promotions and TGB Promotions, Tom Brown's TGB Promotions, were in cahoots. That they planned a muscle no, out not. of top rank. And they saved a million dollars by pulling this shenanigan move. Wow. All right. Well, wow. um, the w, the WBC only in boxing can something like this only happen. In uh, WBC says, you know what? We agree with you. And keep in mind, WBC gets a percentage of the purses, so they want it as high as possible too. They are reviewing it. They said that a decision should be made by today. Actually, what's your thoughts on this, Sal? Oh man, I'll tell you. You know, you look how to bend the rules and and then uh, recreate and then put it in your favor. And 
I'll tell you now these should be something this should be something ironclad and uh, you know you use your your barometer of common sense uh, to gauge it but uh, the bottom line is yeah this is a little this is a little fishy this is a segue and you know you're gonna always find somebody trying to reinvent the wheel or trying to find a, a spin on something and uh, right before our eyes right here you saw it happen first there Billy C right here so I think yeah they definitely got to clamp down and uh, uh, I don't know if they can make an example but they got to definitely uh, clamp down and, and, and rewind uh, where they are right now well crazy. I crazy. mean I, you know I, I know rules are made to be figuring out how you can get around them but uh, that's unbelievable that's unbelievable that uh, that they would do that, uh, it's kind of a uh, a slick move. Um, but oh, uh, it's slick! You know the the truth of the matter is, I mean, we have so many sanctioning bodies. Um, it, it's just the sport. I, you know, I began writing uh, some issues that we're going to be talking about next week uh, with some changes with the show and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the reason. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this sport. I've been involved in this business for 37 years. Um, this show is in its 15th year, uh, you know, but, and I, I actually just responded in the chat room uh, about it. You know, it's very disheartening um, to see the path we're going. And, and it's not like it's never happened before. So it's not like that's the disheartening part. The disheartening part to me, number one, is a couple of fold. The, the first thing is, we have potentially the best fighters that are available today and and realistically physically and mentally well i don't know about mentally but physically and conditionally based on you know training techniques etc we could have the best fighters that have ever fought right now the athleticism of today's young fighter it way far exceeds what we used to have and this is coming from a guy that's a historian, and no one loves to pass fighters more than me, okay? But truth is the truth. We're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger today than we were even 25 years ago, all right? I um, don't know, Bill. Definitely. The stats show it's out. And don't, listen, that's not going to change my That's not going to change my opinion of, of the fighters. I think that overall the fighters of yesteryear were better because there were more fighters fighting. So you, you only had eight weight classes. You only had, you know what I mean? So, so you, 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 you weeded out the pretenders from the contenders. Today, there's less fighters competing. There's more titles. There's more weight classes. It's diluted. But when you single out the guys, a, a, a great a great example is just look at the heavyweights of today. The heavyweights of today, you know, if you're six foot two, two hundred and thirty pounds, you're a small heavyweight. You know, um, Jack Johnson was considered a monster uh, in in 1900, and, and this was a guy that was six foot tall, six foot one. He weighed 210 pounds. You know, he's a monster. You know, he's a cruiserweight today. You know, so I, I mean, um, you know, Rocky Marciano never weighed more than 188 pounds, 189 pounds. He is regarded as one of the best heavyweights uh, in the world. Five foot eleven. You know. Come on. So, I mean, you know, the, the physical uh, aspect, but the way the business is, is run and the marination process and the fan bases, I, I even add the fan bases into this and how divided they are. You know, years ago, Sal, we could be a fan of opposing fighters, but I don't think that the hatred 
would be as much as it is today. You know, I kid you about being a big Deontay Wilder fan, but it's not like you hate Anthony Joshua. You know, you just I think, like Anthony I, Joshua. I know, but my point I is— I like Anthony but, Joshua. I know. I think he's a great but, fighter. But my point is you just, you yeah. know, I, and, and this, is, this is what I'm trying to say. You're an exception to today's young fan because what you see on social media is pure hatred for fighters that they don't like. You know, they like their guy. They support them no matter what. They have blinders on. You could be seeing the truth with your own eyes and not believe it uh, because your guy says it's not true. Uh, and, and, and that division in this sport is what's killing it. Even though we have great fights on the horizon, we have great fighters, we have all this potential, but yet the fans are the ones that are kind of killing it. Between the fans, the lack of, of promoters promoting, the lack of boxing people involved in the business of boxing, and the greed factor is as popular as boxing is becoming again, and as you know, more mainstream it's moving towards, I still believe it's taken a step back because of the division factor, Sal. Well, it it's hard. And what you just said, you know, boxing through the years, it evolved and, and, and does take two steps forward, maybe one step back here and there. But uh, you reinvent the wheel. There's, there's only so many moving pieces to fighting, promoting, managing, uh, you know, and uh, to to try to uh, address each of these issues and have them flowing like an orchestra, it, it's it's sometimes it's difficult. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is it, it's, it's always uh, going to raise eyebrows here and there. And, uh, you know, sometimes it gets a little bent out of shape and it, it tries to uh, re- regroup itself and do this. But, uh, no, I, I understand. And the fans right now and the social media, it's a blend of of, uh, of uh, drama, emotions, and, and opinions. And uh, sometimes those opinions uh, are not further from the fact than, than, than what they appear to be and, and, uh, or are. And uh, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's uh, boxing gone wild. Fans <laughs> gone wild. Yeah, fans gone wild. Um, I, like I got an email here I want to read before we uh, go to break. Uh, and then when we come back, we got... Uh, uh, Dax Khan uh, is going to be with me to uh, discuss the uh, World Boxing Super Series. Sal's going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and Sal and I are going to talk about um, this website I stumbled across, uh, a sports-based website who listed, the, in their opinion, the 26 greatest fighters of all time. Interesting list um, that we're going to talk about. But first, this email's from my man Jesse. He says, uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal. He says, I disagree. Uh, I'm sorry. He says, Billy, I agree that I was dis- it was a disappointing win uh, for Zerto. He's talking about Gilberto Ramirez. Uh, he says, uh, Ramirez was content with staying on the outside, safe with his jab, and just using the one-two. He should have taken uh, Angulo out, but Angulo was getting ready for his counter heavy right hand because he didn't have many much boxing skill. Zerto needs to work on the inside, more body shots and head movement. 
uh, Zerto versus David Benavidez, uh, George Groves to Gal or Jose next. Uh, I think Zerto has shown that he can beat the C mandatories. Now he must show he can beat uh, other champions. Um, I agree with that. I disagree uh, with uh, Jesse's uh, assessment of him just staying on the outside and jabbing. I said after this fight uh, on Monday, Sal, that I thought that Gilberto Ramirez um, was a fighter that was not utilizing his height and reach. He was actually fighting smaller and gave Angulo many opportunities to counterpunch him and land power shots that he landed. I thought that Ramirez's defense was extremely suspect, and I personally would have liked to have seen him more on his toes boxing against such a shorter opponent. Uh, I do agree that his skills are, are limited. I don't like that fighters today can become a world champion uh, and be so limited uh, with their skill set. And uh, I also agree with uh, Jesse that he's he's shown that he can beat C-level fighters. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, as a champion, he should be fighting guys like uh, Benavidez Groves or uh, Benavidez is a similar uh, fighter but uh, uh, Groves or James DeGal or even Jose I think uh, would give him all kinds of trouble what, what's your thoughts Al <laughs> you're a funny guy uh, yeah I, I see the same same picture here Bill and uh, you know uh, I often question you know when I watch that fight too you know he, he he's a taller guy he could have utilized his, his, his boxing from the outside and on his toes in a little bit uh, he he fought the other uh, his opponent's style and and you know he paid with that a little bit and uh, you know I I think he definitely uh, I agree with you one hundred percent. Another point uh, that uh, Jesse's making here he says uh, Alex Sosito was an excellent win but he needs much uh, more work he needs improvement with his head movement uh, body work lateral movement more combinations. Uh, use the jab more, and he tends to move back in a straight line uh, where he's vulnerable uh, to straight punches. Uh, looks like he will uh, be facing uh, Maurice Hooker next, uh, but uh, did this fight help him uh, fight a slick fighter like Hooker? Uh, Sosito needs more uh, defensive work. Um, uh, it's a good question. Uh, this fight showed me that uh, Sosito's got a great chin, and for all intent purposes, this fight could have and possibly should have been stopped in that fourth round against Lenny Zapovinga. Um, Zapovinga had him in all kinds of trouble. Uh, he stayed on his feet and survived the round and ended up battering uh, Lenny Zapovinga to the point where they had to throw in the towel, rightfully so. Um, you know... It goes back to exactly what I thought about uh, Gilberto Ramirez. These fighters today, Sal, they just are not required to gain enough experience before they get a title shot. Today, they're, they're able to just win, get to a magic number against who cares, who, against you know whatever level of opposition, and poof, they, they have an opportunity to win a title, which really isn't that hard anymore. And, uh, you know, we start analyzing them after they're a title holder. You know, just like the Shakur Stevenson arrest. They mention him because he's the undefeated fighter. Drayton isn't. So he was still involved and he got he had some uh, uh, charges against him, too. But he didn't make the news. 
Everybody in the sport of boxing, it revolves around the undefeated fighter. And that's where the problem begins. Your thoughts, Mr. Rocky, Senate Court? Absolutely. You know what I was telling Adrian one time. No, you're right, Bill. It, it's, it's uh, you know, that O means a lot. And uh, when they look at the, the stats and who's who's the notoriety going to and who's uh, who's uh, undefeated, you know, it's it's like a magnet. You know, you try to dethrone that zero or you try to do this. and, and uh, But, you know, you want to try to... Uh, you know, bring it down and, and uh, do what you got to do. That's why you're undefeated. Uh, you have everybody else trying to grab at you and, and pull you down. And if you can't do it in the ring, you're going to try and see people look, finding criticism and everything else uh, outside when you subject yourself to that kind of stuff too. But uh, that's interesting. Very interesting there. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 disheartening, but uh, it's disheartening. It very much one, is. Yeah. One last uh, f- uh, thought. He says uh, JoJo versus Jesus Jesus Rojas. He's talking about JoJo Diaz is an excellent fight. Jesus is coming forward style and brings it, and will uh, uh, be uh, on Facebook Live. What's your thoughts on Golden Boy fights being on Facebook? Um, that's what what I was talking about previously about the streaming and everything else, and and it's a good deal. Uh, Jesus Rojas against uh, Jojo Diaz. Diaz comes straight forward too, and if you recall, in his last fight, he lost, uh, but his body work was was vicious, vicious hooks to the body. Uh, I like Jojo Diaz. Um, this is a, another great opportunity for him, and it's a great opportunity for for boxing fans to uh, uh, to be able to watch this uh, on on Facebook. You know, and I, listen, I don't get me wrong, I support the streaming. Um, I just, you know, I, I think my biggest hang-up is right now, today, uh, to force a viewer to watch on a stream a big fight, a huge fight. You know, uh, uh, Terrence Crawford against Jeff Horn, to me, was a big fight that should have been available um, on, uh, you know, at least through pay-per-view. Uh, same thing with Anthony Joshua. If Anthony Joshua and Povetkin are only available on a new streaming network here in the States... That's going to really uh, suck, you know. So um, uh, we'll see. You know, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I support it. Uh, um, my background is technology. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm okay with it. I just think that y- you needed to, to ease into it a little sooner than they did, Sal. Well, you you called it. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, you know me, I'm the old school. I, I seldom am looking for change and, and, and some things. But... Uh, uh, you called it, and, and we're here to stay to see how it revolves and how we uh, can adapt to it and, and get it uh, get it in our everyday lives. So, so here we go. Hold on, and like I said, let the consumer educate themselves about it, and and we'll do what we got to do. You know, I, it's in our everyday lives, and some of the points I'm going to be making next week, uh, defending uh, uh, some moves we're making. I, I've been jotting down some things, and one of them. Is, uh, is social media and how uh, the misrepresentation of social media is presented to us. Uh, today, a lot of younger fans, and I say when I say young, I'm talking 38 years old and younger, they look at social media as if it's, if, as if it's all fact, you know, and it's so easy to put something out there that is 100% false and then have people defending that it's true. And that's the part I don't get, you know. We used to 
There used to be two kinds of people. Um, those that come in by the door and those that come in by... No, that's, a, that's a good, bad, and the ugly line. But anyway, um, uh, you know, uh, the thing is, the thing is, uh, um, there used to be two kinds of people, Gigo. Sal. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah. hey, remember when he shoots those three brothers, he's like, how'd you, how'd you, your spurs. And then Tuco in the window. Hey, there's two kinds of spurs, my friend. Those that come in by the door, and he does the cross, and those that come in by the window. <laughs> but anyway, I think he did backwards with that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, uh, we used to do two things. We used to say, "Hey, this guy, man, he's street smart," or "That guy is is book smart." And there was a big difference between the two intelligence. You know, yes. being street smart, you could look around, notice what's going on, and, and be a little safer. Book smart? Yeah, you're a smart guy. By the book, you get hundreds on tests, but you're also getting pickpocketed every time you walk you're down the street. <laughs> you know, so so and and that's kind of what's happening today. Listen, we're going to take a short break. Sal's going to be kicked to the curb for a minute. When we come back, we are going to have uh, Dax Khan join us. So uh, don't uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, joining us right now. Uh, to talk all about the uh, latest World Boxing Super Series. I guess there's one, but uh, we're going to have not one, not two, but three weight classes. Uh, Dax Khan uh, joins us. Good morning, Dax. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm doing uh, doing a little better. You know, I chipped, I, I have this, my one of my back teeth split and tooth, tooths still split in half and... Uh, it's killing me, man. But uh, in any event, uh, it is what it is. So let's talk about the uh, World Boxing Super Series. I know you're psyched about this, man. You've been itching uh, to get online and talk about this uh, uh, since last week. So uh, you, the, the, the podium is yours, Mr. Khan. I've been excited for this. Uh, back when, when the first one was introduced, you know, it had been a long time since we had um, had a tournament. You know, in this in this sport, Bill, the fans of today are only familiar with two tournaments. One, the 2001 middleweight tournament uh, from Don, well, Don King's, which had Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, Keith Holmes, William Joppy Hopkins, and the Super Six tournament uh, that brought us Andre Ward, 
Andre Durrell, Mikel Kessler, Arthur Abraham, Carl Frotch, Jermaine Taylor. You know, they were uh, great tournaments. They were all big names, but there was a lot of flaws in those tournaments. Um, for example, in that middleweight tournament, unless you were blind and you had just started watching boxing the day before, I don't think there was anybody out there who didn't know Bernard Hopkins was going to walk away with the win. Um, and with the Super 6 tournament, uh, while not predictable, there was a lot of flaws in that in terms of the way the tournament was put together. We had this point system. There was a lot of arguments about location. There were a lot of replacements. There were a lot of injuries. And so about after two years, uh, fans became more or less disinterested. And despite the fact we had a lot of great names, we have a lot of future and current Hall of Famers out of those two uh, tournaments. After that Super 6, boxing and tournaments pretty much came to a standstill. We didn't hear anything about them. So when this came out, there was a lot of skepticism from fans and a lot of people in the sport saying, you know, how can anybody do something different outside of what we've already seen in the past, especially with a lot of names that are unrecognizable? Was that your first thought or no? Well, I, I th the biggest thing that I like about this tournament was that they went and and obviously we're we're talking about the super middleweight and cruiserweight at first because that's what got our feet wet with it. What I really loved and what hooked me just as well as you, <coughs> excuse me, were the fact that they were able to find fighters that already had titles and were willing to put them on the line to compete in this tournament, which gives me the the belief that we got real fighters here. And and ironically enough. The absence of American fighters is alarming to me. And and that's when the switch, you know, really became in focus for me about the potential of, you know, these these non-U.S. fighters that are willing to, to basically fight old school style and put everything on the line versus the USA fighters that don't. So I, I love the whole theory. And now with the Bantamweight and uh, Junior Welterweight and uh, another uh, weight class to be announced for this second uh, run at it, I love it, man. Well, what makes this tournament special really is, first of all, the champions and the mandatory challengers. You know, Kamos, AJ, Sourland Promotions, Richard Schaefer, they went through great, pains to make sure that they had all these sanctioning bodies on board for the first and of course this tournament as well making sure that if you're a champion and you are a mandatory and you enter this tournament so long as that champion faces the mandatory in the first round whatever happens after that even if that title changes hands you don't have to worry about your mandatory until this tournament is over and that took a lot of stress a lot of relief and also helped this tournament run smoothly that fourth judge that was something that was also very intriguing how is a fourth judge going to change anything why because that judge is not going to allow any sort of draws, and that's not going to drag this tournament out. There's going to be one clear winner. Either you're going to get knocked out or you're going to lose by a decision. And, you know, everything went off with minimal hitches. Even when there was an injury, like when Jurgen Brommer pulled out last minute in his bout against Callum Smith, they brought in Nicky Holskin. Um, when Alexander Yusick uh, had his injury, you know, they uh, made sure that there was a deadline for September. Same thing with George Groves when he suffered his injury against uh, uh, Chris Eubank Jr. in February. George Groves was going to fight until later in September. This all happened in under 16 months' time. And now you say to yourself, how do you top this? We've had unified champions. We're going to have a unified cruise 
Cruiserweight Champion. We had all the top names. You know, when you look back at that tournament, you know, you had um, six active champions at the start. You had three former champions, nine undefeated fighters, and you had, you know, that that amazing stat of that combined record of 423 wins, 17 losses with 294 knockouts, and that still always sits out to me. And, you know, they shared $50 million, and the two winners, not only are they walking away with world titles, one unified and lineal world champion, but $10 in prize money in each of those winners' pockets. So how do you do it? You already mentioned, what do you do better, Bill? You take not only one, you take two, but you take three divisions. It's going to be the Bantamweight, you're going to be the Junior Welterweight, and now we're going to have another division that's going to be announced next week. On top of that, they got a designated broadcaster. The only um, criticism here in the United States about that tournament was there was no uh, broadcasting rights. So now what they did was they went out and they got the zone, the DAZN network that's going to broadcast all those fights. All 15 fights are going to be available worldwide. And, you know, when you look at the participants, Another uh, exciting thing is that 140-pound division because Terrence Crawford, uh, one of the only guys in the last decade, what was he? The only second um, unified linear champion in the last decade that was? Well, it was it was actually, uh, by record, it was um, B-Hop, Jermaine Taylor, and then him. So they were the only three. And, and then when they say unified, they're referring to a fighter that held all, all four, all four of what we call major sanctioning belts today. So, so really, it is an asterisk next to all of that because prior to all those sanctioning bodies, every champion was a unified champion, right? Yeah, I mean, there was only one. Well, you know- when you have somebody like a Terence Crawford, or for example, like a Lennox Lewis, or a Vladimir Klitschko, and you want, and they and they leave whether or not they exit the division or they leave the sport. All of a sudden, that creates a lot of excitement for not only the fans to see who can replace that fighter in terms of quality, but the the fighters themselves seem to want to fight harder. So this way, they can say to themselves, you know what, I am as good as that fighter was, and I'm even going to bring this uh, division to another level. And so that division is definitely a hot division, and in my opinion. It's also going to increase the uh, the output and it's going to increase the performance of all the fighters involved. Yep. Yep, and and the, the the thing, like I keep saying, and, and I I keep mentioning it over and over, you know what I respect about the fighters that choose to be in it, and 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 like you said earlier, uh, Richard Schaefer deserves a lot of credit for this. This was the mastermind behind Golden Boy when Golden Boy was was on its at, at its peak, um, and now they're obviously in a downswing without this man. Uh, he uh, was criticized uh, in the beginning of because of his lack of boxing knowledge. Uh, but this guy knows how to make things work. And let me tell you something. This World Boxing Super Series, I think the U.S. television networks missed the boat. And this DAZN network that's going to carry it all, that's going to be introduced in the U.S. soon, that's already over overseas. They made a great decision by jumping on this ship. I think that the World Boxing Super Series uh, tournaments are actually scaring the uh, sanctioning bodies because what's happening is they all, all four major sanctioning bodies have agreed to prioritize unification fights. They've done that, and they, so far they've all lived up to that. The IBF is a little kind of little shady there with what they pulled with Triple G, but that's besides the point. But what can happen after these guys end up winning these tournaments and have one belt is more splits within the uh, sanctioning bodies producing more. Do you think that the Muhammad Ali trophy may evolve into being what people look at as a unified championship? The prestige involved in it 
is in the end, once these tournaments, you know, continue progressing, as long as they continue to have this success, the prestige involved in this tournament is going to be worth more than any belt because of the worldwide recognition and not just the um, the regional or national, whether or not you're a fighter who's making a name in the States or overseas. You know, this, again, is, is worldwide, and it's brought worldwide attention instead of just a UK fan or instead of just a United States fan or instead of just an Asian uh, fan watching those fighters. This is actually brought attention to fighters that uh, guys in the UK never seen from the US and vice versa and so on and you know uh, you mentioned something earlier and we talk about it all the time on how that O is so important in this sport and once you lose that O all of a sudden a fighter seems to lose momentum the fighters that entered this tournament at least a lot of them have that O, and we have a few veterans who don't have that O, but, you know, never really got that recognition like they were supposed to or they deserved. And they're using this tournament to not only boost themselves, but they're risking that O because, as you stated, is this going to be looked at uh, more prestigiously? If they win this tournament facing these other fighters, that O really isn't going to matter only to the non-educated boxing fan or the casual boxing fan. But when it comes down to it, even if they lose that O, uh, you know, it's the quality of opponent you lose it to. And this tournament has nothing but quality opponents. And whenever you're ready, I'm ready to get into those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you want to uh, break down all of all of the fighters. But unfortunately, I, you know, we're just limited with time today. But let's talk about some of the guys that are in it right now because... They're either world champions right now uh, in the uh, in the bantamweight and junior welterweight divisions. They're either current world champions or mandatory title challengers. I love that lineup. I love the fact that these guys, substantial uh, fighters that are that are not only substantial in their in their rankings, but they're in position for for belts and what have you, or mandatory uh, shots, or even uh, a, a title holder that that could face a mandatory chump challenger. And they're choosing this route. It gives me, and I keep going back to this. I know Dax, but it keeps me thinking. You know, these the the mental part of these fighters that sign up for this tournament. I have to believe that the main goal in their mind is to prove that they are the best in their weight class. And at the end of the day, that's what boxing was all about when it first started, to prove you were the best. You know, it's somewhere along the line, the money and the fame and, and the belt, just being a belt holder became a priority. But this World Boxing Super Series, I think, is getting that whole persona of proving that you're the best in the ring. You know, Floyd Mayweather used to piss me off and his fans because he would say, well, I know I can beat so-and-so, so I don't have to fight him. And I used to always say, to him, what are you talking about? That's why you have the fights. And this is what the World Boxing Super Series seems to be doing, Dax. It absolutely is, and when you look at uh, these fighters, they have a lot to lose, and these are the champions, and these mandatories are smart, knowing that you know, if I enter this tournament, not only am I going to get my title shot right away, but also I'm going to do exactly as you stated. I'm going to prove, you know, I belong and how good I am. Dax, give us a rundown, at least name-wise, and what belts they're holding right now, who's involved as of today. Well, starting out with the Bantamweight division, we have the WBA Super World Bantamweight champion, which is Ryan Burnett. You know, the, he's 26 years old. He's 19-0 with nine knockouts. In 2017, Burnett won two world titles in five months. Uh, he defeated Lee Haskins for the IBF title, and then five months later, he wins the WBA title in a unification bout against Zanhan, um, 
Zanikanov. Burnett vacated the IBF title due to sanctioning body politics. Uh, he defends the title once against uh, Neon Parejo in March, and he gets elevated to super champion. He answers the, w, uh, the World Boxing Super Series looking for all the belts. In his last three fights, Burnett not only won two world titles and made the defense, but the combined record of those opponents, Bill, are 82-6-1. and one. Can't beat that. <laughs> You know, and uh, the IBF champion, Emmanuel Rodriguez, 18-0 and 11. Uh, Rodriguez is little known, and Rodriguez was actually brought over to the U.K. as an opponent for Paul Butler. You know, he had a decent amateur career with 171 wins, 11 losses. He turned pro in 2011, but he really had no promoter. Uh, most of his fights, all but a few, were in uh, Puerto Rico. He only had a couple in the U.S. on undercards. In May, Rodriguez was brought over to the U.K. as the B-side, as seen a very beatable opponent for former Super for flyweight champion Paul Butler. They faced off of that IBF title vacated by Ryan Burnett. While Butler only lost once before, and that was to Zulani T in 2015, his ego was so inflated and he thought so little of Emmanuel Rodriguez, he, he missed weight. He didn't even train for the fight. While the belt was online for Rodriguez only, Rodriguez goes over there and showed again as the B-side what can happen when you're determined. He goes over there and he outpoints Butler by scores of 120-106 twice and 118-108. What's the first order of business for Rodriguez? Instead of coming back to the United States and Puerto Rico and celebrating, he actually stayed over in Europe, Bill, to announce that he was going to participate in this tournament, and he was just waiting for the first opportunity to sign his name on a contract. Keep in mind now, the names Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, two guys that we talk about are the superstars and the future of this sport, did the exact same thing. They went over to Europe as the B-side. They won their world titles, and look where their career went. And so is it me, or is maybe uh, Rodriguez kind of seeing a trend here and hoping he can follow in there and doing the right thing, showing, you know what, if I can go over there and do this, I can do what these guys are going to do. Hey, don't forget that uh, Timothy Bradley did that. And I believe, didn't oh, yeah, Marvin? Junior Witter, that's right. I that, forgot, yes. And, and, but didn't Marvin Hagler too? I can't remember. Off the Did, didn't Hagler win the, the title in England? Didn't he beat, um, uh, what's his name? In uh, I, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost sure that Hagler won the title in England. But anyway, we, that's besides the point. But uh, keep going with the with the with the fighters. We have uh, the WBO World Champion Zelani T. Uh, he's 27-3 and three with 21 knockouts. The 30-year-old T is without question the most accomplished fighter in this tournament, even if he's not the most well-known. He had over 400 bouts and some African titles. He also had a few um, uh, gold uh, medals in these, Afri in these national African uh, uh, tournaments. You know, T won his first 11 straight, and he spent most of his career as a flyweight and super flyweight. And we know that even over here now with big names, uh, you know, such as uh, Chocolatito, until then, the divisions really here had no, no, no kind of recognition. So Delaney T, despite all this experience in these world titles, had been pretty much a virtually an unknown. His biggest break came in his last fight when he fought on the undercard of Carl Frampton Nonito Donaire, and you know. Also, Zelani T, the interesting backstory about this guy, Bill, and I always find it amazing, is Zelani T used to drain himself to make those weights. When he was an amateur, he used to fight at 57 pounds. In 2007, T fought five times in and from 2007 to 2008, he wins a minor title, and he was so dehydrated going into a defense of that title, he actually collapsed and went into convulsions and seizures. He spent a lot of time in that hospital, and they found out that, you know what, T actually is not... 
He doesn't have anything neurologically wrong with him, but he was draining his body so much and taxing himself so much to get these opportunities that he this actually sent him into these convulsions and it almost killed him. He goes out and he gets himself the right kind of trainer. He jumps up a couple weight divisions and ever since then it's been nothing but success. And he's using this tournament not only to prove that he is a great fighter, but he's also going out there to make the biggest payday he's ever had so far, even if he only goes in there and loses his first fight. You know, this is exactly the type of things that this tournament is bringing and you're saying are the sanctioning bodies worried about what this tournament uh, is going to do and how it's going to affect them. When you have a guy like T who's been a world champion with so many wins and so many appearances but never that type of money, of course you're going to see other guys without these promoters behind them doing the exact thing that Tita's doing and he's getting that worldwide recognition and those paydays without having to pay these sanctioning bodies or that promoter. Hey, just to uh, my man Tone uh, in the chat room uh, reminded me, yes, Hagler beat Alan Minter in, uh, in England to win the title. And, oh, that's right. uh, yeah. you know, so so I mean, there, there's a history here, you know, and uh, uh, this tournament is 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 doing it without whether they know it or not. But uh, um, and Jason uh, Maloney, too, is announced. For, yeah. Yeah. The 17 and 0 Aussie fighter uh, 17 0 14 knockouts down in Australia. Maloney is like the United States version of the Charlo twins. He has a twin brother, Andrew, who's also an undefeated super flyweight and they both hold Commonwealth titles. Uh, Maloney, he's not an overly skilled fighter, but he has pop. He's an active fighter. He fights four to five times, five times a year. And he's going to bring a new fan base to this tournament because the last time there were no Aussie fighters involved. You know, when you look at that tournament at the end, you know, we have three champions and a mandatory with a combined record of 81 wins, three losses and 55 knockouts and the only predetermined fight inside this one of course is going to be Emmanuel Rodriguez versus Jason Maloney because in agreement with all the sanctioning bodies those uh, mandatory bouts are going to happen first and then after that you know it's open season on whoever's going to win in that division and now whenever you're ready we're going to jump onto the super flyweight division who actually makes that division and makes that one look kind of pale in comparison you mean the super lightweight Super lightweight. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's why I always say. That's why I always say. Uh, that's why I always say uh, junior welterweight. But uh, go ahead, shoot. You got. Uh, I think you. I think you're gonna get it in, Dax. I think you're gonna get it in. All right. Uh, first of all, we had the WBA super lightweight champion, uh, Cairo Relica, uh, 22, 22 and 2 with 19 knockouts. Uh, his only losses are two former world champions, Rancis Barthelemy, which was a questionable loss he avenged, and Ricky Burns. The Belarusian is 2 and 1 in his last three. But, you know, what's t in boxing today isn't always tomorrow. You know, uh, he went and um, despite losing to Ricky Burns, like I said, he uh, loses to uh, Barthelemy when they trade knockdowns. He comes back a year later and then he defeats him. And he actually wins the title that he didn't win against Ricky Burns. And, um, you know, he w has worked with Ricky Hatton. He works with Oscar Rivas, and the guy is just rounding out. He explores the style of both men. And in my opinion, he's more or less, you know, the work dog. He's a little bit of a uh, Ruslan Provokhanov um, times two, and he's going to be an exciting fighter in this tournament. Uh, very little known, and probably the black horse of this division is European champion IBF mandatory Anthony Yigit. The 21-0 uh, with seven knockouts. A lot of people are going to say to themselves, you know, who is he? Where's he from? Nobody knows. He doesn't have a lot of power. Um, he's a Euro he's a European champion. On top of being the uh, IBF mandatory, a lot of people today, especially in the United States, don't think much of these European titles, Bill. But again, you mentioned a guy not too long ago, uh, Junior Witter. Also remember that Gianluca Bronco, Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, Jurgen Brommer from the first uh, tournament, Harold Graham, James DeGal, Lloyd Hunnigan, go on and on and on. They were all European champions before they became world champions. And Yiga is also a 2012 Olympian and might be the actual 
actually the best boxer in this division. So whoever goes in there and sleeps on this kid, Bill, in my opinion, is going to get outboxed. And then you have the IBF mandatory. How this happened, I don't know. You have two mandatories from the IBF. The guys that are stickling for rules is beyond me. But Ivan Baranchek, 18-0 with 11 knockouts. His biggest career win just came recently with a stoppage over Peter Petrov. He's had a lot of showbox appearances. Baranchek's career is just starting to take off. You know, he has a uh, somewhat decent amateur career. Uh, Baranchek, you know, he kind of seemed to regress a little bit. But now, you know, he's stepping it up when he enters this tournament. And, you know, hopefully with any luck that we're going to see, you know, Ivan Baranchik maybe, you know, against uh, Cairo Relica, you know, one of these all-out Russian fights, and we got ourselves a new Russian star. You know, uh, so many assorted styles in this tournament. Uh, it really makes it even more interesting. Keep going, man. You're, you're getting close. You're getting close. My favorite fighter <laughs> in this tournament, Josh Taylor. He's the WBC silver champion and the mandatory. Taylor is 13-0 with 11 knockouts. This is a guy who, despite not having a belt, is just coming off the biggest win of his career over Victor Postal, whose only loss prior to that was Terrence Crawford. Um, you know, the last opponents of uh, Taylor prior to that was Winston Campos, Miguel Vasquez, and O'Hara Davies in his three previous. Number coming off a loss. One only. There was only one loss in uh, each of those fighters' uh, previous six. They had a combined record of 74 wins, two losses, and 48 knockouts. So, you know, Josh Taylor is another guy that is going to go in there, in my opinion. He's going to step it up sort of like Ryan Burnett. And then we have former IBF 140-pound champion and WBA mandatory Edward Troyanovsky. Uh, Troy, Troy, uh, who has a record of 27 wins, one loss with 24 knockouts. A lot of people, again, they don't know who Edward is. He's a 38-year-old former world champion. He doesn't quite have the um, recognition of other Russians like a Kovalev, Biterbiev, a Bivol, or even a Lipnet. And um, probably most known for his loss to his first-round knockout loss to Julius Ndongo. But, you know, again, this is a guy with a lot of experience. He's going to be stepping in there going and, uh, you know, as a dark horse and competing for the final at a 140-pound spot very much like Arthur Abraham and Chris Eubank did is uh, WBC interim champion Regis Progre and Juan uh, Jose Velasco, the 20-0-12 unknown fighter out of Argentina. And keep going. Come on, I know you got it. Well, well I'm waiting for you to tell me. Did no, I'm not, hey, I want you to get it in. I want you to get it in. I don't want to interrupt <laughs> you. You're on a roll, bro. Uh, you know, Velasco, you know, despite being unknown, um, if you ever see any footage on this kid, he's definitely another dark horse in the tournament. He has a come-forward style. He's a guy that, you know, shouldn't be slept on. And uh, Regis Prograde, we know the story on him. He's a, he's a hard-hitting, undefeated uh uh, prospect, even though he has that WC interim title, and in my opinion, whoever is, uh, enters that and goes inside this, and it's gonna, this is gonna be a mega fight. You know, Progray is skilled. Um, he's, he's a knockout artist. You know, I, I, you know, I'm almost fumbled over my words when it comes to this bill because there's so much to say about all these guys. You know, the combined record of those 140-pound entrants, depending on who wins uh, between Progray and uh, Velasco, is 95 and two with 66 knockouts, or 94 and two with 54 knockouts. This tournament has anything the sport can ask for. It's something that also every fighter who's unhappy with their promotional contracts should take a look at. We spoke about Errol Spence the other day who said he didn't need a promoter. And while we all agree the promoter is needed, if you are unhappy with your contract or your contract expires in one of these tournaments, you know, especially World Boxing Super, Seri uh, Super Series tournaments going on, you know, all of a sudden you have yourself a promoter in Camosa, Sauerland, and but you know what, you're not paying that promoter uh, fee, the promoter license, you're getting all these top fights, and you're also getting paydays that would take you two, three, and four years to 
get and you don't have to deal with these politics of arguing and complaining and filing petitions against these sanctioning bodies to get your title shot. You're not going to be given any step aside money. And whoever wins this fight is going to be the guy who can walk away, you know, absolutely the best. You mentioned something earlier on. Can these replace uh, these sanctioning bodies and what do these mean? Bill, if these tournaments continue like this and these quality of fighters, um, you know, continue to enter, I think, in my opinion, every guy who leaves those tournaments in that division, the winner, can absolutely say, I am not only a world title holder, I am not only a world champion, but I have fought and defended my world title. And what makes me a world champion is the fact that I fought and defended that, fought for and defended that title around the world. Because these don't just happen in one city or, or uh, uh, one country. These happen to be all around the world. And whoever wins this is absolutely the single best fighter in each division. And I hope that this one goes off with the same amount of uh, success as the first one, with the same amount of uh, minimal hitches, because if it does, all of a sudden boxing is going to have a totally new concept. Boxing is going to be the way it used to be, the best fighting, nothing but the best, and you can't duck or dodge anybody. And if you do, everybody's going to know you did. You know, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The winner of each of these uh, divisions will clearly be the best in those respective divisions. Um, Dax, uh, great job uh, breaking down the World Boxing Super Series. We're going to continue with it. So every time uh, uh, we get a fight coming up, uh, of course, we'll go in depth with those. And uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed because I, I love the World Boxing Super Series. I, you know, I love the fighters that are choosing to go in it. And, you know, one last thing I want to mention, uh, you know, the, the beauty of this and something that the promoters should actually look at is the series itself is promoting these fighters better than so-called defined licensed promoters. Promoters today don't promote, but this series, just because of what it is and, and the types of fighters that are, uh, you know, be, being part of it, is actually huge promotion. And the idiot fighters that don't recognize that and listen to the guys around them that are going to say, ah, you don't want to get into that. It's too much risk. It's only for this much. It's only for that much. Need to look at the bigger picture, Dax. That's my thoughts, man. Absolutely. And you know what? You're not paying these promoters. Um, um, maybe one day they'll come up with their own title. I know we spoke about whether PBC is going to do it, and I know the UFC does it. But, you know, if this should you know, take off to be this prestigious. I remember Bernard Hopkins saying one time when he won the Ring Magazine Light Heavyweight title, they asked him, I think it was Jim Gray, what is the best title you ever heard? And he pointed to that ring title and said, because, you know what, this proves I'm the best and I don't have to pay a sanctioning fee. And if that happens with this tournament and it goes on with that success, a lot of these sanctioning bodies might be at of business in the future dax great job uh, as usual and uh we look forward to uh the next time my man all right enjoy the day and stay cool i'm gonna try listen we're gonna take a short break when we come back uh sal and i are gonna discuss an interesting uh list of fighters i stumbled across uh on the internet uh, a couple of days ago don't go anywhere billy c will be right back part of the billy c boxing network Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. by morning. It's Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Now back 
to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And I was just going to say, and joining us uh, as soon as he gets his uh, video turned on is uh, my man Sal. But at the last minute, you came through, Sal, Rocky Senecola, and there you are. But uh, anyway, (laughs) anyway, you know, I was I was uh, running around surfing the Internet the other day uh, uh, and I stumbled across this. Uh, list it says the greatest there's 26 greatest fighters of all time and this was a uh, sports site that uh, posted this on fourth of july so i you know i said normally i don't look at this stuff you know but uh i said you know what let me see what they got and i was amazed at the list and they they went from number 26 down to number one wow um so I'll just read the names real quick to you. Yeah. Now, how do you want me to read them? From number one down or from Let's, 26 uh, up? I'll go 26 backwards. Okay. Number 26, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. 25, B-Hop. 24, Ezra Charles. 23, Manny Pacquiao. 22, Joe Frazier. 21, Marvin Hagler. 20, George Foreman. 19, Willie Pep. 18, Archie Moore. 17, Mike Tyson. 16, Jack Dempsey. 15, Roy Jones Jr. 14, Harry Greb. 13, Jack Johnson. 12, Benny Leonard. 11, Sam Langford. 10, Gene Tunney. 9, Lennox Lewis. 8, Henry Armstrong. 7, Roberto Duran. 6, Floyd Mayweather Jr. 5, Rocky Marciano. 4, Sugar Ray Leonard. 3, Joe Lewis, two, Sugar Ray Robinson, and their number one, Muhammad Ali. Wow. Now, wow. Um, I don't have my list, but I will tell you this. Floyd yeah. Mayweather Jr., would, if I gave the top 26 right now, would be nowhere near the top 10. He would be my number 26. I also would have Sugar Ray Robinson clearly number one. I think that... Um, I would also have, uh, you know, I'm wondering where Joe Gans is on the list. He, you know, uh, where Stanley Ketchell is, where Tommy Hearns is, Charlie Burley, Jack Britton, Lou Ambers, Barney Ross, Mickey Walter, uh, I'm sorry, Walker, uh, Jimmy Wilde, Pancho Vila, the non-parallel Jack Dempsey, Carlos Monzon. Those would all be in my list. No disrespect uh, to guys like Lennox Lewis or even Gene Tunney, um, Roy Jones Jr., um, e- even uh, George Foreman. I-, I really don't. Joe Frazier. I-, I mean, I love these guys, and they're and they're. You know, if we're talking about heavyweights, especially uh, Frazier and Foreman, uh, and and Lennox Lewis, obviously they're they're in the top uh, twenty-five of all time in heavyweights. But pound for pound, top all-time fighters. I, I can't put. Any of those guys ahead of Joe Gann, Stanley Ketchell, Tommy Hearns, Burley, Jack Britton, Lou Ambers, Ross, Walker, Wild, Vila, or uh, non-parallel Jack Dempsey, or even Carlos Monzon. What's your thoughts, Sal? Wow. I'll tell you why. Arguably, uh, he did mention some top credible contenders for that position and for the positions that they, uh, they were elected. 
Um, I believe that I I may have had a few changes here and there, um, but uh, you know between Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Robinson, and I was glad to see Duran in the top ten. And when you say Duran in the top ten, I don't know if I could put Mayweather in the top ten. Uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That would be my opinion. Uh, I, I thought it was a credible list. I, I don't know if I agreed with everything. And like you said, it's it's so subject to one's real opinion. And, you know, I, I think also we got to ask ourselves when you're assessing a fighter's uh, uh, career, I mean, do you also take into effect their significance as far as what they did for the sport of boxing, how they evolved, their personality inside outside? Is it the overall, or do you just take their skill set and their level of, of, of what they could do in the ring? I mean, you know, there's there's so many attributes, there's so many things you could do there, uh, and and like I said, it's 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 going to be subject to many opinions. But I'll tell you what, he gave a good 26 uh, boilerplate base, and uh, as well as you. So uh, I think it would be a little little bit of uh, reshuffling here and there, but uh, definitely some credible names were mentioned. Well, reshuffling is the key. Um, there's no way that Floyd Mayweather is above um, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, you know, no. Uh, no. The, all those other people. I mean, he's down at the bottom. But then again, uh, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., Lennox Lewis, Sugar Ray Leonard, as high as they are, shows you that the person that made up this list must be fairly young. Because these yes, are names I that they're, that. you know, uh, Stanley Ketchell, Joe. G First of all, Joe Gans could you can make an argument that the top, you know, in any order you want, the top uh, three or four fighters could be Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, Joe Gans, um, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Joe Gans, uh, Henry Armstrong, uh, you know, they could be the the top guys, you know, uh, Joe Gans. Uh, uh, Sam Lang oh, Joe Gans, Sam Langford, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, and uh, and and Henry Armstrong. You could make a strong case that any one of those guys could be mixed and matched any place in the top four um, of all time. No disrespect to Muhammad Ali or even Joe Lewis. You know, Rocky Marciano. Nobody loves Marciano more than me, but the fifth best of all time. You know, heavyweights. He's up there, but fifth best of all time. Roberto Duran, uh, you know, I, I love him, uh, you know, but you're going to put him above Henry Armstrong and, and Joe Gans and, and you know, I, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But one name that sticks out on this list, first of all, two names that stick out on this list that I'm glad made this list was uh, Ezra Charles at number oh, 24 because yeah. he's a forgotten uh, great fighter. And to be honest with you, I was really excited to see Benny Leonard uh, on that list at number 12. This was a great fighter, uh, way ahead of his time. But uh, interesting uh, interesting list, to say the least, in, right? Interesting, a very interesting compilation of what, what uh, this gentleman's opinion was. And I, I, I say he was very much on the mark on some levels here. And like I said, it's subject to some opinion. And you got to look at the overall criteria he may have used versus what you may have used or may use and what I might use. Uh, but can, I, can, I ask, can I ask you one question? Go for it. How are you assuming that it's a he? That was an assumption. I guess oh, I'm making okay. he as plural. Are you, are you, as, uh, what are you, a chauvinist? Are you a chauvinist, Sal? 
No, I'm not a chauvinist. That's it. I'm calling Heather. I'm calling Heather right now. You know, it could be a female. I'm calling. That's right. uh, It could. (laughs) I'm gonna shut up. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I saw this. I saw this. Uh, somebody posted something somewhere, and there was a picture of uh, uh, who was it? Uh, I can't think of the name, so I'm not gonna. Uh, not Justin Bieber. No, 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 not just Justin Timberlake. Uh, some somebody had a picture of Justin Timberlake uh, walking on the beach, and the caption said, "Is it me, or I, am I the only one wondering why Justin Timberlake looks like a 35 year old lesbian in this picture?" And when I read that, I looked at it, and he did. He did. He looked. He, I mean, and I'm and I'm not Wait, knocking it. anybody, but but I mean, he did. He did not look. Uh, like uh, a very manly man. That's all I'm gonna say. But uh, uh, but he did look like a manly lesbian. Uh, I, I don't I'm know. Uh, let, me let me move on. Let me move on. The uh, the uh, trivia question for today is still open, and I've gotten a lot of good. <laughs> Sal's shaking his head at me. I got a lot of good. <laughs> I got a lot of good uh, answers, but none are correct. <laughs> yeah. The. Uh, uh, the question <laughs> That's is a new warning horn. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we should just have that. Um, but uh, if you get, uh, if you're the first one to get the answer correct by emailing me, Billy at Talking Boxing. Let me spell it for you. That's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. Uh, you'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, uh, the same one Alex Papali uses for our Blast from the Past segment. Uh, here's the question: What uh, famous two actors once shared an apartment with Jack Dempsey. What two famous actors once shared an apartment with Jack Dempsey? If you know this answer and you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, uh, you'll win uh, your very own copy of uh, uh, the Title Bout Championship computer game. Good luck to everyone on that one. On this day in boxing history, July numero cinco. <laughs> I shouldn't really say that. July 5th, uh, since it's following our Independence Day. Um, on this day in 1975, Alfred, today too. Yeah, Alfredo Escalera knocks out Kunaki Shibata in the second round to win the uh, world WBC junior lightweight title in Japan. On this day in 1986, Eli Pacal knocks out Cesar Polanco in the third round to regain the IBF junior bantamweight title, and that took place in Indonesia. On this day in 1984, uh, Jairo uh, Wantanbi. Uh, want to be what? Uh, want to be uh, wins a twelve-round decision over Peyo Punatra. I'm batting a thousand today. He, he wanted uh, to be victorious. He wanted to win, and he did. Uh, he, he won did. the WBC Junior Bantamweight title. Took place in Japan on this day in 1909. One of the guys that didn't make that list, Stanley Ketchell, wins a twenty-round. You heard it right, twenty-round decision over Billy Papke to retain his world middleweight title in Coloma, California. Unfortunately for the Stanley Ketchell, three months later, um, uh, he would challenge Jack Johnson for the world heavyweight title uh, and was knocked out in the 10th round uh, on October 16th, same year, 1909. And finally, on this day, July 5th in 1920, Benny Leonard knocks out Charlie White in the ninth round in their fight that took place in Michigan. The fight uh, was supposed to be for Leonard's world lightweight title, but Leonard 
came in overweight, Sal. Even back then, they missed weight. He weighed 137 and a quarter pounds uh, for this one. But uh, anyway, hey, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Tomorrow, we're going to break down and give you the predictions for the fights uh, scheduled for this weekend. Uh, so make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.